This year is definitely one for the record books. 2020 has indeed been a turbulent time on many fronts given Brexit, the COVID-19 pandemic and the US elections to name but a few. As we approach the end of a year marked with many challenges and uncertainties, there might be a widespread reluctance to make firm plans for 2021. In this Market Matters podcast series, we explore the most prominent economic themes with investment analysts from Old Mutual Multi-Managers. They help us make sense of the equity, property and fixed interest markets and also share insights on how diversification could be the key to survive next year and beyond. Let's talk to Amir Amat, who is the head of Absolute and Fixed Interest. Uh, Amir began his financial career in financial services back in 1998. That seems like an age ago, Amir. My goodness. Um, Also has extensive industry experience as a portfolio manager, a head of quantitative research and as a quantitative analysis as well, amongst other things. Uh, you're also a bit of a writer, Amir. Obviously, uh, you present uh, at investment conferences and to, to all sorts of clients and write about the markets, etc. Uh, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have somebody who is up to speed with all of these things. I'm looking forward to our chat. Thank you, Ian, and appreciate your kind words at the introduction. Um, mm. Yes, likewise, looking forward to our discussion this morning. So, Amir, let's start with a global view of what you do uh, so that anyone listening can really get a sense of what it is that we're going to be chatting about. So I think when you speak about fixed income, it's always good to look at it initially from a global perspective as to what's happening globally. And I think the main concerns that we generally hear in, the, in, in global bond markets as well as local market is what is the part of expected inflation and uh, interest rates? And I think I want to cement that very quickly in saying that if you look at the next 18 to 24 months, inflation is likely to remain subdued. With the renewed lockdown that we are seeing, a few days ago, I had a chat with a friend of mine who is based in, who works for a Canadian asset management company, and he said, uh, this was on uh, Tuesday, and he said, yeah, we've actually back into lockdown. So these renewed lockdown, second, third, fourth waves that we are seeing locally and globally as well, these actually present downside risks to inflation. What we have also seen globally, Ian, is that savings rates have picked up, you know, and the velocity of money in, the, in, in, in some of your major economies has actually fallen. So... The point here is that there are still very strong deflationary forces at play. So as a result, we can expect inflation to be muted or subdued over the next, over the short to, short to medium term. You're saying 18 to 24 months. Is that kind of the time frame that you're, you're playing with at the moment? I think it's a reasonable time frame to look mm-hmm. at. I mean, uh, on a, if you look at longer term, you know, there are equally compelling arguments for and against high inflation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I think if you look at the medium, short to medium term, it's um, not much of a concern from both local and global fund managers that we speak to in the fixed income space. So let's talk about the path then of the interest rates up to now, really. I mean, the bloodbath has happened. And as you say, the second, third, fourth waves, please not second, third, fourth, but it might happen. Uh, it is happening overseas in the global areas. How have those rate cuts affected the bond performance? Okay, so let me start with, once again, going back to the global picture, um, and then I will move on to South Africa. Mm. If you look at global bond yields, firstly, I think there's really little risk of yields rising. In other words, you know, uh, moving from, uh, they're currently at the 0% level. So moving from 0 to 1 or 2%, etc. Because if you look at global economies, they're actually operating well below normal. So that's in itself deflationary. Secondly, I think declines in, in interest rates are also unlikely because central banks have cut rates basically to the zero bound. And they have thrown ample liquidity into the system. 
which has resulted in significant compression of uh, global bond yields. So if you look at some of the global bonds, Ian, if you look at Germany, if you look at, I mean, you're getting negative real rates. In other words, if you put 100 bucks into a bond, you're getting 99 rands back. I'm just using hypothetical right. numbers here. Let me speak about uh, negative real rates uh, globally. The local picture, inflation is certainly is, is subdued. But Ian, I must just draw your attention to two recent events that have happened in the local economy. Uh, okay, before I even get there, let me put it this way. COVID has actually exacerbated an already uh, weak economy in the SA. We, we've got deep structural problems. Those things existed before COVID and has been exacerbated post-COVID. But the two most, most recent events which you are probably familiar with is that rating agencies have uh, recently downgraded us. This was last week, Friday. So the Moody's and Fitch have downgraded us further into sub into the sub-investment grade category, and the S&P maintained their sub-investment grade uh, position. Also, the second event is that Saab, the Saab decision actually um, kept rates on hold. So the first about the rating agencies, if you actually followed the bond market last week, it was a non-event, you know, and I don't want to sound dismissive, mm. but effectively, I think that risk has been largely priced in. We've been talking about downgrades for the last two years. It happened earlier, and the bond market has adjusted to that. So a lot of this uh, negativity or talk of downgrade has been largely priced into, into the bond market. So it's not a new phenomenon. And also, if you look at foreign holdings of South African bonds, they're around the 29% um, mark anyway. Mm. And um, I think what's important from, from the message of, of rating agencies is that they are basically very doubtful of government's ability to implement fiscal consolidation. And the decision by the Reserve Bank to have kept rates on hold, I think basically vindicates um, their recent caution about fiscal risks in the economy. So although the decision to have kept rates on hold have, was not unanimous, I think the bank is unlikely to cut rates uh, during this cycle again. Um, because if you look at, uh, we speak of forward rates, in other words, what the market expects on a forward-looking basis in terms of uh, interest rate expectations, in terms of increasing rates or decreasing rates, the money market curve is no longer discounting any further rate cuts. Right. So that's the position in terms of the part of interest rates uh, within the local and global economy. Sure. You paint a, a rather sketchy picture at the moment. It, it's not seeming <laughs> incredibly positive. Let's stay on this line of chatting for a second here and talk about the risks then in the bond market because because uh, really, the I suppose there are plenty, and I'd love you to unpack that for us, just so that we can get an idea, uh, specifically in the South African market. Yeah, so th that certainly has been a very worrying feature mm. of the local economy, mm. and, and investors in particular. But I think why, what, what I find interesting about the bond market is that it's it's the place where interest rate risk is basically priced. So if, if I put it very simply, if you are not credit worthy, I will demand higher compensation from by, by, by lending you money. And if I find that you are credit worthy, I will uh, I will demand less compensation, and that compensation is reflected in the level of interest rates. So I think, firstly, if you look at our current money market rates, you know they're around the five percent mark. So you're not four or five percent mark. And looking forward from money market, you can probably expect rates less than inflation going forward. So two or three years ago, you could easily get inflation plus two or three percent by being exposed to the money market. Okay. But that advantage has not dissipated. Hmm. But yeah, so I think what's important is it sounds a bit negative, but if you look at the yield curve, now the yield curve is it's basically gives you an indication of rates one year, two two years, three years, ten years, twenty, thirty years out in terms of rate expectations. If you look at what we speak of the ten plus area of the yield curve. Okay. At the belly to the long end of the yield curve, your rates are quite high. 
So they are around 9% plus. So the compensation that we're getting for the risks that we are speaking of, that we will speak of, uh, we've, uh, we've largely been compensated for those risks in the in the South African market. And I shall I just unpack some of those those risks very quickly. I'd love that, yeah. Firstly, I think what we appreciate, Ian, is that the cost of capital in South Africa is very high. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for the government to borrow at 9 or 10%, it's actually significantly high, which makes the cost of capital for businesses functioning in this, in, in this economy quite high. And I think what's scary is that, Ian, one out of every five rand basically goes to servicing our debt you know, so so that is worrying, and I think we need to do the right things now. It's become non-negotiable. Right. So a lot of the risks that we speak about in the bond market, the major concern is fiscal risks. A decade ago, our South Africans' debt to GDP was around twenty-five percent, and our projections are, you know, it could approach the ninety percent level, etc. So there's been concerns about fiscal consolidation, uh, prescription, default, the state of the SOEs, etc. And certainly these are things that we have to think about very seriously. You know, the implications of this is certainly higher interest rates and a high cost of capital in SA. But let's, let's just talk about the issue about default. Firstly, I mean, we have exited the big B because we are sub-investment grade. Okay, that happened a while back. Mm-hmm. But domestic fund managers are already holding about 20% of SA bonds and foreigners around the 29% level as well. And I think this fear of default has led to the yield curve in South Africa being very steep. Now we talk about this, when we speak of a steep yield curve, we mean that your long-term rates are very high relative to short-term rates. So if you look at the long end of the yield curve, for simplicity, I'm just going to round off numbers here, it's about 10% and the short end around 3.5%. So there's a significant gap and that's the steepening, the spread between the long end and the short end that results in the steepness of the yield curve. So what is effectively telling us is all these risks that I mentioned about fiscal consolidation, the state of the SOEs, uh, issues like prescription has largely been th- this premium between the long rate and the short rate significantly embeds some of the risks that we are concerned about. So what I'm effectively trying to say is that we are being compensated for the risks that are already uh, priced into the market. So I think if you look at the yield curve, you're getting um, rates about 6% above inflation. So that long end of the yield curve is compensating us handsomely for this fear of default. And speaking on the subject of default, I mean, that being said, South Africa is not a classic case of default. Firstly, countries can operate uh, with a very high debt to GDP. And secondly, most defaults happen with the inability to service dollar-denominated debt. Mm-hmm. If you look at our debt, it is mostly RAND-based, not dollar-denominated. And if I look at our external uh, debt to GDP, it's probably less than 10 uh, less than 10%. Foreigners are holding about 30% of bonds, banks are holding 23%, pension funds are holding about the same amount, around 23% of local bonds. So effectively, if there is a default, the whole system will collapse. So oxygen masks will be released, you know, so, but mm. uh, I'm not mm. sure to what, to what extent we will be resuscitated in that environment because, you know, it has a, it has a contagion effect on other, other asset of classes Of course it well. does, of course, yeah. And uh, yeah, so the point is that historically, the bond market has given you 2% above inflation. Currently, it's offering about 6 or 7% above inflation. And that compensation is basically embedding these risks that we speak of. And the other issue that comes to mind is prescription. Firstly, SA managers already hold 20% of the bond market, a, a bit more than 20% on average. I mean, there's no need to actually force uh, pension funds to actually b- buy into SA government bonds. 
I mean, they see the value in government bonds and they've allocated a significant portion to these government bonds. I think more importantly, it looks like the ANC appears to have accepted the arguments against prescription. So that's a positive thing. But in South Africa, Ian, capital is not the problem. It's the capacity to deliver, which is the issue. And um, you mentioned the SOEs, those state-owned enterprises are going through a very, very torrid time at the moment, aren't they? I mean, there's, there's very little light in the end of the tunnel. Sure, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's been a challenge. Um, you know, I think largely there's been obviously elements of corruption which have um, resulted in, you know, uh, mismanagement within SOEs. But the other issue, uh, Ian, is that uh, certainly if you look at um, what COVID has done, it has certainly, you know, uh, also course. had a significant impact on SOEs. Like if you look at uh, AXA, for example, you know, it's an it's, uh, entity with, you know, it has high operating costs. Uh, high operating leverage, etc. Mm. But it's it's a it's an entity that is actually critical to the country's transport infrastructure. You know, and we know that with the impact that COVID has had on tourism, you can see the impact this would have had on, on access cash flow, as an example. Uh, but there are SOEs like um, uh, the, uh, the Development Bank of uh, SDBSA as well as the IDC. They have strong balance sheets, and also the debt profile is more longer term. I think Land Bank had some issues, but they have recently, from what I understand have resumed interest rate payments and are getting some support from National Treasury as well. But certainly, as I said, Ian, things can be fixed, firstly. And I think it's we're at a point where it's non-negotiable anymore. You know, we need to yeah. reduce this cost of capital and funding in South Africa. It's exactly right. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It is non-negotiable. We're at that precipice now where if we if we don't start to make a plan, we are going to fall off the cliff, uh, which leads me nicely onto my next question from a high-level point of view. Let, let's just go over a default. You mentioned oxygen masks coming out and, and you know, having to be resuscitated, etc. What are some examples of uh, economies that have defaulted on loans? Have you got any on the top of your head? And, and what, what has been the outcome? Firstly, I think most of them have defaulted on dollar-denominated debt. So, in other words, they have borrowed externally quite heavy, right. heavily externally. Right. So, as yeah, we, we we don't have that problem in SA. Yeah, and if we see structural reforms within South Africa, it will certainly lower the cost of capital. And what's more important, Ian, we need this economy to grow. If you have growth in the economy, mm. then you can certainly it restores confidence to to local and global investors. And at the same time, it reduces the cost of capital and reduces the risk of default. So, we, I mean, if you look at the last uh, 10 odd years, our growth has been very anemic in, in South Africa. I think, and I stand corrected, I think Venezuela was the only country that has defaulted on local currency debt. Right. But most, from some of the research I've come across where, and this um, goes back to, I think, the 1800s, and there's a list of many emerging market countries. I mean, Russia is a prime example as well, where defaults have happened is mostly dollar-denominated debt. So effectively what happens, Ian, is that your currency weakens and it becomes very expensive to finance mm-hmm. a dollar-type dollar debt. So uh, I, I don't think, yes, I, I think the, that, that fear of default has led to our cost of capital being high, apart from other structural issues within the SA economy. But I think it's also probably a bit overplayed. We are getting compensated. If as those fears of default dissipate, uh, we will certainly see some strengthening of you know, in the bond market, which will be positive for the local economy. Amir, I love your positive lining of all of this conversation. It's it's quite inspirational, actually. I, I want to talk. I want to talk particularly about investment and the returns um, that we can expect going forward. I'd love to find out what those expectations are, because you know, as you say, there there has been some green shoots, some some new 
sort of opportunities that might have shown their head. Uh, what can we expect? Yeah, the first thing I want to speak about is people always look at uh, at cash as as a safe asset class, but I think as investors, it, it's very it's imperative that we take a long term view when it comes to investing. And if you look at cash currently, you are uh, like I alluded to earlier on. On a forward-looking basis, you are likely to get returns which are less than inflation. Now, if you actually want to protect the purchasing power of your money, you need to have returns above inflation. Cash is not going to give you that over the shorter term because rates are are, are historically low now in South Africa. Mm. So, being invested in cash, I think th- th- that's an opportunity cost. You know, right. and uh, we we know that two or three years ago, fund managers were heavily invested in cash because, as I mentioned earlier, you could get the inflation plus two or three percent quite easily. That advantage has not dissipated. But if you look at the real the, the yield curve, and this is where our managers and our position has been in, in the funds that, that we offer, we are basically positioned in that belly to long end of the yield curve where you're getting a return six or seven percent above inflation. Two important things to note here. We know in the bond market we talk about yields weakening and strengthening, and I'll use very simple examples just to, to illustrate my point. Yes. If yields weaken, in other words, move from, say, 10 to 11%, because effectively, investors are now demanding higher compensation okay. by asking for more. Okay, yes. If yields weaken, the bond market works in a funny way. You, you immediately take a capital loss. <laughs> so your overall return over the short term would effectively be very similar to cash. But the point is you're getting a positive return in. But if yields strengthen, in other words, move from, from 13 to 11 or from 10 to 9%, we speak about strengthening of yields. That's very positive for the bond market, and you get a strong capital injection. If yields strengthen, and, and yields will strengthen, firstly, before I go on, just prior to the U.S. elections, our bond yields were around 920, 930 level. That's the, the 10-year bond. And post that, it, you know, the, and the positive sentiment that came with it, we saw a positive disposition towards emerging markets, which led to a strengthening of South African bond yields. So they moved from the, the 920 level to about 880, 890 currently. And that was very positive for the bond market in South Africa. Right. So this strengthening of yields, if we move from 10 to 9 to 8, etc., you could potentially see double-digit returns, Ian. And I'm talking about probably, you know, around the ranging from, depends which part of the yield curve you're exploiting, could be from 12% to 20%, etc. These are equity type returns that you would get. And this is from the bond market. But Ian, it does come with one caveat that one must expect volatility as well. You know, so uh, it's not that these returns are going to be quite easily. They will come with some level of volatility. But I think as a team within all mutual multi-managers, we spent a lot of time unpacking these risks in a bond market, Ian. We, we spoke briefly about SOEs, debt to GDP, prescription, the fear of default. We've unpacked each of these risks. And the question we ask ourselves is that are we being compensated by being exposed to um, uh, uh, be, being aware of the risks and being allocated to that to that long end of the yield curve where, where the valuation certainly is? And we believe that is the case. So um, I think it's important that, you know, it does take about a year to, to see um, changes in asset allocation shifts. I did um, make a comment that managers were heavily invested in cash, and we're likely to see managers buying into the bond market because that's where the value is uh, within local fixed income. So I think what's very important, uh, Ian, is that when we speak of valuation, or, or it's important to firstly understand why the market is cheap or expensive, and also at the same time assess, you know, are risks getting incrementally worse or better? Right. And um, uh, yeah, so we, we look at basically assess both sides of the coin and make our investment decisions based on that. So a lot of 
work goes into these type of research. But at, because at the end of the day, we want to position our portfolios to the upside. We don't want to buy into stuff that has you know, worked in the short term, sure. but have a negative effect to clients' uh, capital over the longer term. It's interesting. I'm I'm hearing a lot of uh, a lot of analysts and a lot of people in the know talking about the longer terms. Uh, you know, not just rushing in and expecting things to get better in the short term. Rather, investing in the long term, watching out for it, and seeing exactly how it rolls out. I agree with you uh, because I mean, Ian, as we know, in the shorter term, there's there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of fluctuation. You know, the mm. market basically rates us every day, but I think one has to see through this noise and yep. see where the value is. Yep. Yeah, uh, I think you know as there's certainly when it comes to investing and uh, there's a strong there are strong behavioral biases and yes i think with some of the research that we've come across people are likely to be two times more negative than positive you know uh, some of the research done by daniel kahneman etc which yes. shows that yeah. you know we are emotional beings so mm. at the end of the day mm. when when we speak about default risks we try we try to look for places of safety without actually appraising those risks so it's important to appraise the risks and are we getting compensated for that? And I think we are. Certainly so, yeah. Interesting times. Interesting times. May 2021 be a little bit less bumpy than this past year for us. I think we're all looking for a positive outlook. Amir Ahmad, the head of Absolute and Fixed Interest at Old Mutual, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for giving us an explanation. That's, that's given me a bit of a better picture as to exactly where we sit. Uh, and I wish you a good 2021. Likewise, Ian, uh, to you as well. And uh, thank you for the opportunity and uh, appreciate your questions and uh, enjoyed having a good chat with you. Thank you very much. Old Mutual multi-managers are a specialist investment boutique within the Old Mutual Group, South Africa's largest and most established financial services company. They offer affordable investments that blend together the best of South African and offshore asset managers. Old Mutual Multi-Managers is a division of Old Mutual Life Assurance Company South Africa Limited, a licensed financial services provider and life insurer.